Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Sporticos Football Stories podcast. My name is Craig Hansen and today I'm joined by Danny Penzer, Juventus supporter and football writer responsible for black and white and red all over a Juventus community on SB Nation. Danny is also part of the Juventus podcast, The Old Lady Speaks. Danny has been mad about football all his life and he has a lot to tell us about matters on and off the pitch at the Allianz Stadium. I can't wait to get into some of those topics with Danny right now on the Sportacos Football Stories podcast. good how are you i'm good thanks it's a bit hot here actually not usual english weather um so (laughs) i'm struggling a little bit but we're gonna persevere today because i'm very excited to have you on and to talk about juventus obviously it's a club a fascinating club one of the most historic clubs in the history of the game and a lot of stuff going on right now at the club so i can't wait to get into that but before we do i'd like to take a little trip down memory lane if we could and could you sort of explain to me a little bit about when you first started watching football and when you first got into Juventus in particular, sort of where are you from? Because I'm not hearing a, a, a kind of Italian accent there, so I'm assuming that you're a distant <laughs> fan. So I, I was wondering how, how that all came together for you. Yeah, no, I uh, I can definitely say that I have Italian heritage, but not not necessarily in my kind of first immediate generations of my family. Um I believe it was my great grandparents who first came over from Italy. So uh, most most of the Italian side of my family is from New York. Uh, I grew up in California. Uh, I currently live a little bit north in Oregon, where if you looked out my window right now, we are probably experiencing the same warm weather you are, but there's a little bit more wildfire smoke than I would prefer. I can definitely pinpoint my Juventus fandom to. Um, and this is something that I've, I've written a few, about a few times over the years since I took over the blog is that, you know, I, I was looking through a soccer catalog one day and I came across a picture of Gigi Buffon and it was when he f- had first signed for, uh, Juventus from Parma back in 2000, uh, the early two thousands. And, um, you know, I was just looking at him and I mean, you, you probably remember early Gigi Buffon. He just kind of had that really cool look to him. You know, he had the long hair, slick back all that and being a goalkeeper I was like yeah he had an aura yeah yeah and I you know I was a goalkeeper back then you know I was in the early days of my high school career 
Uh, you know, so I was always going to be looking for goalkeeper gloves and he had the cool Puma gloves with his name on them. I'm like, Oh, I can, you know, let me try and grow my hair out and I can look like Gigi. And obviously I couldn't play like Gigi, but, uh, I might as well try and look like him. So, uh, that's where it started. Uh, I didn't watch a lot. A lot of my early fandom through Juventus was honestly just reading stuff on their website and then probably when I went off to college and had a better internet connection was when I started actually trying to watch stuff. Uh, and then kind of the, the thing that kind of kicked it into overdrive and, you know, call me fair weather if you want, was was definitely the 26 World Cup or 2006 World Cup, I should say, when Italy won it. And from then on, it just kind of spiraled out of control, if you want to call it that. And, you know, obviously so much of it was centered around Buffon and Del Piero and you know, Pavel Nedved in the early days. And, you know, I was following them in the second division after they got relegated and stuck with them and all that. And, you know, heard the jokes about why are you wearing a referee shirt to, to class and whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the Cliff Notes version of it. But, uh, yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting couple of decades as a Juventus fan, that's for sure. And it must be a lot more enjoyable nowadays in terms of watching because from what I can tell from some of my other guests – it's a lot more accessible now in terms of watching on TV and stuff, right? Even the Serie A. Yeah, yeah. When when did that sort of change for you from the kind of hunting down, you know, weird streams on the internet <laughs> to, you know, the luxury of your sofa just enjoying the game? Yeah, for, for me, it started when uh, Fox Soccer got the Serie A broadcast rights. Uh, I believe that was when I was either just about to graduate from college in the late 2000s or when I was just out of college, which was around 2010. So, you know, I remember being in my apartment in college, uh, tiny TV, probably no more than like a 15-inch screen, watching, you know, Fox Soccer at 6 o'clock in the morning because obviously being here on the West Coast, the time difference between here and Italy is not always the friendliest. Thankfully, more often than not, Fox Soccer showed a lot of Juventus games. And, you know, now we have CBS as the the rights holder and they stream everything espn streamed everything the last few years so it's a lot it's a lot easier and although it's a little more money out of my pocket each year it's definitely appreciated that i can no longer you know worry about trying to like you said hunt down those illegal streams <laughs> those not so legal streams and uh <laughs> yeah. you know, risk risk my computer more than just a a uh a stream that you can't really see the numbers all that well on we've got an interesting debate going on right now here in england with the premier league because I don't know if you know about this, but we have a thing called the 3 p.m. blackout, right? Where, you know, games aren't, aren't shown during that time. And there's various kind of historical reasons for that. But it, what it creates is this kind of uh, funny situation where people all over the world are watching like Ronaldo's debut for United, which happened in a couple of weeks. And nobody here will be able to watch it. So it's a little bit strange. But it's great that you're able to pick up those games live. What kind of time in the morning are you usually having to get up for these? How much dedication are we talking? So where I live here in Oregon, uh, we're in the Pacific time zone in the U.S. So that's a nine-hour difference between Italy and where I live. So for a game that would – let me do the math real quick in my head or try to. Uh, so kind of the what would be the, the afternoon time slot – in your neck of the woods in the UK would be 6 a.m. for me. Or as um, as they do each Sunday, the lunchtime kickoff, and thankfully Juventus only does this a couple times a year, is 3.30 a.m. for me. Um, the good thing is that I work a swing shift for my day job, so I, I don't have to be at work always you know, at 9 o'clock in the morning. I can... I can afford to say wake up at 6 a.m. for a game, you know, do my post-match writing, and then maybe catch a couple hours more of sleep before I go to work. So, uh, but most of the time, like Champions League stuff, that's 11:45 noon my time, so it actually works out pretty well. But yeah, there are there are a decent amount of days where I'm up and watching a game before the sun rises here, which can be interesting. Yeah, it takes a lot of dedication for sure. Um, but I guess you're you're really happy when those evening games come along, whether they're European or domestic. But um, apart from watching those games in your house, do you have a bar or anything like that you can go to to watch games? And is there any kind of community there where you're where you are in terms of other Juve fans and a sort of fan group or anything like that? You know, since I'm I've 
you know, I grew up in a pretty big city down in California. Grew up in Oakland, California, which you know, if I'm, you're probably not all that worried about California geography. It's pretty much right by San Francisco, so it's it's a couple of big cities essentially back to back. But in my professional working life, I've lived in pretty small cities in California now in Oregon. So um, I don't necessarily have a bar that I go to. I Honestly, I kind of prefer to watch alone just because a lot of the time I'm responsible for the post that goes up right after the game. So I kind of need to be in front of a laptop and and writing as the game's going on. And I also live tweet the the games for the site. So it's pretty much essential that I have a computer in front of me for you know three straight hours. So I don't know how much that would look or how good that would look if I was sitting at a bar in front of my laptop being antisocial. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I kind of prefer it to be at home. And, uh, obviously with the pandemic going on, I'm not, I've been super safe, so I'm not risking going in to any large establishments of people or any large gather gatherings. So, um, I don't know, maybe there's a, a Juventus bar where I live. I know, um, you know, Portland is a few hours North for me and that's a big, uh, big, uh, as we say, soccer community. So, um, maybe there's there, but as you know, and living here now almost four years, I haven't necessarily met a lot of Juventus fans, but, uh, maybe once, once the pandemic starts to come to a close and I can wear my Juventus jersey out a little bit more, it's, uh, it, it might become, you know, might meet some new friends. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe you'll bump into someone and a really good place to, um, meet some fellow Juventus fans would be Turin. Um, yes. Have you ever been over there to watch a game? Um, if you have, what was it like? And if not, is that something that you sort of have on the horizon as kind of like a, a like a dream trip one day to to make it into the stadium and watch a live game? I have not been, and it's definitely been on the list of places to go for a few years now, to say the least. Um, obviously, like I said, you know, being a massive Buffon fan like I am, um, that was kind of the the dream to see him before he retired. And I mean, he still hasn't retired, but he's no longer a Juventus player. So he's retired in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of Juventus, he's retired. But uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, obviously, the pandemic is what it is, and who knows when there's going to be the you know, kind of the official ending. But yeah, as long as um, I know. You know, me and a, a really good friend of mine who I met through uh, where our old our site used to be hosted years ago. Um, we've talked about for I don't know, it feels like five or six years now trying to get over to Turin. So um, hopefully soon it can happen. And obviously the the passport needs a little bit of updating. But um, yeah, it's definitely at the top of the list in terms of uh, for me vacation destinations. And do they ever come over and do those sort of big, um, you know, preseason tournaments and stuff? Because you see a lot of that on the news here that, like, you know, Man United and Real and whoever are over there. Um, I don't know a lot about it, but I imagine they probably come to, like, L.A. and stuff, right, for that, surely. Big, yeah. big place, big stadiums. Have you ever seen anything like that on, on the net and thought maybe maybe one day you might be able to pop down to one of those? Next best thing, I guess. Yeah, it... it um. It's usually the they call it the International Cup of Champions, which or international. Ah, Champions like on Cup. FIFA. That's what yeah. it's called on FIFA. It's the same. Yeah. Ah, okay, yeah. that's yeah. real. So, I thought that was something the FIFA made up. No, it, it's real. It's real, and uh, I don't know, like they say on Seinfeld, if it's spectacular. But um, <laughs> a few years ago, I actually did get to see Juventus play in San Francisco, which you know, context aside of it being you know, early August and a preseason friendly, I believe they played Everton. So take that at what you want. And I'm pretty sure it was either a world cup year or a Euro year. So players were slowly making their way back as they were training. But, uh, yeah, it, it was funny because they played in the stadium where my favorite baseball team plays. So I'm used to seeing baseball games there. And then all of a sudden here's Juventus. I'm really bad at American sports, but is that like Dodger stadium? Is that a thing? Yeah. 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 It was, yeah. That's so, really historic, right? So that is not like a really big historic 
stadium? Yeah, it's it's one of the oldest baseball stadiums here in the U.S. That's and so cool. I I was actually I at the time I knew their Juventus's English press guy, so I was able to watch a little bit of training one day. Uh, they trained about forty five minutes south at uh, Stanford University, so we were able to get down there, um, watch watch a training session, which was which was cool, and um, yeah, just was able to watch them live. That's the only time I've seen them live. And although I think they lost on penalty kicks, it was, uh, it was a pretty cool experience. Got to take my dad and he had never seen anything like that before, even though it was a, you know, a preseason friendly. So, yeah, I mean, it's not the same as the, as you know, the ultimate dream, but it's still really cool. <laughs> right. Of course it is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Really cool. I would go and watch like, you know, Barcelona in a preseason friendly in London. That would be like a dream. So I think it's, yeah. I think it's cool. And especially for you because you're an actual fan, so it's even even more awesome. But um, just going back really briefly to um, those kind of initial early early days, flicking through the the catalogs or on the on the websites and fall in love with Buffon. Could you name a couple of other players that piqued your interest at that time and that that were kind of like your early heroes? Uh, I, I I mean, you know, it, it's the same that a lot of people would say. You know, it's Buffon, it's Del Piero, it's Nedved. Um, I never got to see Zidane play as a Juventus player because obviously that was, you know, the, the Zidane sale, say that three times fast, uh, to Real Madrid was basically what fueled Buffon and Nedved to come over that same summer. So, um, yeah, I think for me, just because, um, you know, those, those were the big three, kind of the early days. And then, uh, you know, it's interesting because it's when I started actually watching them is kind of when they had this new group of players come up. You know, that was, you know, the, those first days of me being a Juventus fan is when Chiellini was first there. And, um, you know, we had, uh, and we saw Claudio Marchisio come up through the youth Academy and he was, you know, the Turin born guy. He was, you know, Il Principino, he was the Prince of Turin. So he was, he made his debut in the, 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 the season they were in the second division. So um, those two guys outside of Buffon, honestly, I mean, as much as I love Del Piero and I mean, I still love him to death, but Chiellini and Marchisio are probably second to Buffon in terms of the guys I really, you know, love as players just because they were kind of there almost kind of growing up at Juventus as I was first, beginning to be a fan so that was pretty pretty cool to see being such a big juve fan do you tend to follow italy in the um international football landscape or i guess obviously you're from the u.s too so i guess you probably keep an eye on the u.s men's national team as well what how does it work in that stuff i'm definitely more of an italy fan than a u.s men's national team fan and i can tell you Uh, actually, you know, I know I said that I don't usually watch games at bars, but I do remember when I was that summer of 2006, when I was still in college and Italy and the U S were in the same group. Um, and guess who was in an Italy Jersey when the U S and Italy were playing each other in the group? Well, it was me and I just happened to be the only Italy fan in a bar full of U S fans. So you know, when Italy scored, <laughs> and also when Brian McBride got an elbow to his head, uh, guess who everybody was looking at? So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I certainly lean more Italy than U.S. And I mean, it's nothing against the U.S. It's just you know when you you root for a Italian club, and you know so much through the years, you know the old saying is you know strong Juventus means a strong Italy squad. So. Uh, you know, so much of Italy's history has to do with Juventus on the national level as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely, you know, you, you, you go through my closet of jerseys to my right over here and there are a lot of, there are a decent amount of Italy jerseys. There, <laughs> there aren't any U S jerseys. So, uh, it's, it's definitely a Zuri blue all the way for me. So there's my answer. But, um, before we get to, before we get to derailed a little bit, um, I just wanted to ask about the, the, this recent Euros that passed then. So I guess, um, were you able to watch a lot of those games? I don't know exactly how the the timings worked out there. I'm sure it was not too bad because most of the games were in the evening, right? So I'm sure you could watch them. 
Um, yeah, did, absolutely. What did you think about the tournament? How how did you enjoy the whole experience? Knowing what Italy had been through the last few years before Mancini took over, I think everybody was obviously ecstatic with the end result, but just the way just the way they played was so aesthetically pleasing. And, you know, it, it was a case of, you know, so much, you know, when Italy won in 2006, you know, you had superstars all over the place, you know, Totti, Del Piero, uh, Buffon, Cannavaro, all, you know, Nesta, I mean, just, you know, Pirlo, Gattuso, I mean, I could rattle off, you know, half the roster and you'd look at them as, you know, stars of the game at that, at that time. And, you look at the roster now and it's so much more of a group rather than the individual. And I mean, 2006 was kind of the same way, even though they were world-class players. So, um, yeah, I mean the job Mancini did was, uh, outstanding. Um, you know, he had such a, such a vision and the players just executed it so well that, um, I don't know how many people were thinking Italy could have won it before the tournament, but you know, once you saw them after the first couple of group stage games, it's like, okay, this could, this could happen. And obviously they did it. And yeah, thankfully the, (laughs) thankfully the games were on at a friendly time for me. So I, I was able to enjoy it and not be half asleep while watching it either. Well, Mancini's a bit of a personal hero of mine too. So before we end up going uh, down a rabbit hole with Mancini, We're going to take a very quick break, and then when we get back, we're going to get back into Juventus. We're going to talk what it means to be a Juve fan in 2021. And we're back. So, Danny, next thing I wanted to ask you is, during your time as a Juve fan, and it's been quite a while, um, because some of the, the US fans that I speak to, maybe they kind of found the game sort of 10 years ago when... Uh, TV got a little bit a little bit better and a little bit easier to watch, uh, you know, Premier League and La Liga and stuff like that. But you've been following the the club for a long time, and some of the, from the references you make, we can tell that. Um, could you talk me through sort of the highest point for you? Because obviously, there's been a lot of glorious moments during that time. Some also um, some terrible moments too. I'm sure. Um, what would you say has been the the best time, the best era of your time as a Juve fan? I mean, it's it's obviously you know winning nine straight titles and uh, you know the the two Champions League finals within three years uh, with Max Allegri were obviously fantastic. The actual games themselves were far from fantastic, but you know especially that that first. Or I mean, both both of them were so unique in that you know Juventus were obviously a very talented squad, but nobody was really predicting them to get there. I mean, even you, you know, just the circumstances of which they got there, you know, it was just kind of classic Juventus, really just kind of heartburn inducing style where it's like, you know, defending at all costs and, you know, Chiellini celebrating crosses like he just won the world cup or celebrating clearances like he just won the world cup. And still doing that. He was doing that. He's still doing that. And I, I, I love him dearly, dearly for it. But, um, I think, you know, the the first season under Conte was obviously kind of the the start of a of a decade long dominance. Even though the last couple of years of the Scudetto streak weren't exactly dominant, but just kind of seeing him mold that squad so quickly into you know before he arrived they had finished in seventh place two straight years and we joked that, you know, it it kind of become the dark ages of Juventus because we had become so accustomed to them competing for a title. And now here they are trying to scratch and claw to get into the Europa league. So, you know, for, for me, that first season is always going to be memorable because you had, (coughs) excuse me, you had kind of, you know, the the Pirlo reclamation because reclamation project is used kind of viewed as, as done and over the hill at Milan. Um, obviously the, the emergence of the, the BBC defense with Barzagli, Bonucci and Chiellini, uh, Buffon was obviously very much still in his prime, uh, a midfield with Vidal and Marquisio and Pirlo. And then, you know, you look at the strikers, those first couple of years of Juventus and it's like, you know, it's, it's the, the Alessandro Matris of the world and Mirko Vucinic. And you're like, how the heck can they win a title with those guys? And it's like, well, it was, it was so much about 
team. And I mean, their leading goal scorer had like 10 goals in the league those years, those first couple of years. So, um, yeah, at, you know, Conte is obviously a divisive personality, uh, but you know, the work he did to really get Juventus back to being the, the top dog in Italy and then, um, doing it so quickly, I think is what, what really kind of sticks with me as one of the more memorable seasons of recent, recent years. Although it's a fantastic achievement, obviously getting to those Champions League finals, how heartbreaking was it to fall short on those occasions? Because the one that um, sticks out to me that I remember watching was, I remember, was it, I think it was against Madrid when Mandzukic scored that really great goal. Yes. Um, I was in Spain at the time. I was working in Spain. I was watching it with a bunch of Spanish people. And, um, you know, without going into too much detail, I was rooting for Juventus. I'm not a fan of either club, but... Let's just say I preferred Juventus a lot in that situation for various <laughs> reasons, but um, but yeah, it was. I remember just being so. I think did did Real go either one or two up before Mandzukic got that goal? He tied it up. He tied it. Yeah, up. he he equalized, and I thought, oh, okay, this is great. We're going somewhere. And then wasn't it something like four one? I think in the yeah. end, this is taking me back a few years now. Um, I, even I was gutted, you know. <laughs> I don't yeah. support Juventus, so. Talk me through that. What that was like. Do you remember sort of where you were when you watched it? Do you, uh, how how it felt? I mean, we just went through you know losing the Euros to you guys, so I know a little bit about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how did it I, feel? I could definitely say 2017 was the more crushing one than compared to 2015. And you know, you mentioned the Mandzukic goal, which I mean. God love Mario Mandzukic, but you don't associate those kinds of goals with him. So when you see him score something like that, it's like, okay, this this might be our day. Obviously, it wasn't. But yeah, I, I think, uh, like I was saying a few minutes back, is that you know a lot of the time, you know, I'm watching games before work. So um, for me, it, you know, in both cases, um, I had to go to work extremely pissed off those two days. So, uh, 2017 was, was definitely more gut wrenching just because they were, you know, that, that Barcelona, Barcelona team they lost to in 2015 was obviously just incredibly special. Uh, and you know, Real Madrid did what they did, um, in the champions league as well. But, um, yeah, 2017 was just a just a gut punch on top of probably three more gut punches, just because Mazukic was, you know, he he was the heart and soul of that team, um, and that's why even though his stay at Juventus wasn't all that long, he's so beloved by by the fan base. But um, yeah, I think that that year was like okay, there's there's a legitimate chance after that goal, and then it just kind of all fell apart, and that was obviously the the disappointing part of it after being so exhilarated watching him score you know probably one of the best goals you'll see in a champions league final yeah it's so much harder as a fan when when you have that hope you know when you feel like it really is possible and then it doesn't quite come off but but nonetheless you know fantastic period of time as you said nine consecutive titles champions league finals you know great period what went wrong last season and and before the season started did you how optimistic were you that that it was going to be a kind of instant fit with Pirlo, or did did you sort of see it coming that it may it may not pan out so well? Early on, it was cautious optimism. Um, I'm generally, when it comes to Juventus, a more optimistic person than pessimistic person. Um, so I think you know you could you could see the ideas that he wanted to try and implement. The problem was he didn't necessarily have the kind of squad that needed to <laughs> be be at hand to implement all of those ideas. Uh, and then obviously the season went on. They're dropping points to teams who are in the lower half of the table. They're losing the relegation battlers. Um, so, you know, the, the faith in Pirlo diminished as the year went on. But, um, you know, kind of what happened last year had been I think building for a few years just because of poor roster construction and um, players either being out of form and, you know, players maybe not necessarily being in roles they should be in. So um, last year was kind of the culmination of a lot of things. And it was kind of Juventus finally 
finally paying for the sins of years past when it came to maybe not signing the right players and neglect, especially neglecting the midfield and, and all that. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely still feeling it now because unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately the club is in such a bad financial state that the roster from last year looks a lot like the roster that's currently there. So, it's it's definitely a case of um, hoping that Max Allegri can get more out of the same kind of squad outside of a few names that uh, Andrea Pirlo couldn't. Well, we're going to come on to Max Allegri in a little bit and all the great work he did before and, and hopefully what he can do going forward. But um, was there any damage done to Pirlo's legacy then with that one season as coach? In some people's minds, yes. But for me, you know... you. <laughs> You, you got to be able to separate what he did as a player to what he did or didn't do as a manager. And I mean, he was such, <clears throat> such a class player that, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's not like he got Juventus relegated or anything. I mean, yeah, they had to get some help from Hellas Verona to get into the champions league this year, but you know, those that one year for me at least doesn't undo what he did as a player just because, you know, he's he was just so damn good as a player that, um, you know, barring, you know, an absolute crisis, and maybe some people might have viewed last season as a crisis, but, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, like I said, a lot of things led up to what happened last year, and it wasn't just because of Andrea Pirlo. Yeah, probably in a few years' time, people will be able to see it a little bit differently and, and I'm sure that his legacy isn't going to be tarnished by that as you said you have to separate the two um, I wanted to get into a couple of sort of off the field topics and maybe more contentious topics and the first one is um, Andrea Angeli so I wanted to ask you sort of how he's viewed in general among the fan base because I know that the family has a really long tradition at the club and I think mostly a positive relationship from what I can tell right with the club with the fans um, maybe you can correct me on that, but with but as far as Andrea goes, um, you know when we read some of the his comments over here, you know not in Italy, and and not in that Juventus lens, you know the, the the things he was saying about Atalanta, for example, that that comment in particular really bothered me, and some of his comments about the ESL. I mean, how do you view him, um, and how is he viewed more generally by the fans? When he was first hired, I remember writing something saying, <clears throat> excuse me, that. You know, Juventus finally got, you know, a football man back in that presidential spot where as the previous two years, it was more kind of, you know, the business aspect. And obviously he's got the lineage to, to build on, you know, there's pictures of him you know, as a teenager or in his early twenties, you know, standing alongside the Juventus front office. And, you know, for him, you know, also just happened to be family members. So, um, he obviously knows the club as well as anybody. Um, I will say this about him. He's <clears throat> he's certainly ambitious. <laughs> uh, unfortunately for him, he's maybe a, a little too ambitious sometimes for his own good. And, you know, you mentioned the Atalanta comments. Obviously, that's, that's something that's going to stick with him for the rest of his career, no matter what he ends up doing at Juventus or in the game in general. Um, you know, his how he's viewed kind of depends on what corner of Juventus fandom you go to. Um, you know, the super league stuff has definitely divided some folks in terms of their viewpoint of Agnelli. Some people really, you know, admire going for it just because they know that the game, especially in Italy needs to be brought up to speed a little bit more than it, than it does or than it is. Um, you know, we, we kind of have a joke throughout the, the Italian blogs on, on the network is that, you know, there's, there's only, only so much that can be done because it's Italy. And essentially just because Italy is the reason that we, we point to as to why the country and the league is, is so far behind others and, you know, why you see you know, just for an example, you know, you see here in the U.S. that, you know, the Premier League is getting these huge, just huge, fin you know, financial boons and TV deals. And whereas, you know, in the U.S. and Canada, it's kind of like, OK, well, who's going to, you know, <laughs> who's broadcasting it this year? So 
uh, you know, and Yelly at that point, he really wants to try and get the league into a better place. And that's obviously, you know, more recognition. Um, obviously the Ronaldo signing, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a few minutes, is um, mm-hmm. something that, you know, he took a huge, huge swing at. Uh, that's also something on, depending who you ask, is was either a success or a failure. Um, but, um, you know, you got to admire him for his um, his desire to take risks, but at the same time, those risks, some of those risks come back to bite him. So uh, I don't know if I actually answered your question, but <laughs> I think I think for me he's he's done a lot of good, but sometimes he can be his own worst enemy, and kind of like the club on the field. Sometimes they bite themselves in their own ass, and you don't really you can't really do anything about it. Yeah, he's he's super ambitious for the club and for the league, and that is to be commended. But as you said, sometimes you know. Maybe he's a little bit too ambitious. He says the wrong thing, and I mean that, that those Atalanta comments in particular. How are they? If we separate that from the European Super League thing, um, you said that they will follow him forever. I mean, was that met pretty harshly, even by the Juve fans? What he said. Um, you know, it, it's it's hard to say because Atalanta has kind of become the the blue the bleh, the blueprint of essentially how to run a team on a budget these days. Um, whereas Juventus, you know, Juventus is the club that's handing Aaron Ramsey a annual salary of over 7 million euros net. So <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite. You know, right? How, how much pity can you put on Andrea Agnelli when he's handing out these massive contracts for players who probably don't deserve it? Um, so I think, you know, it, it's hard to say because, like I said, Atalanta has really become the the prototypical example and the the real kind of feel good story in Italy the last couple of years, just because they've had so much so much success. They've developed talent. They've got you know they they play a great style of play. They play a style that you know Juventus, I would assume, want, and especially knowing how Agnelli wants to be modern and wants you know a certain brand for the club and. You know, that's why they change the crest and that's why they do this and they sign Ronaldo and they do that and all that stuff. So, um, you know, if if I'm sure if Juventus was able to play a style like Atalanta, Andrea Agnelli would be like, all right, we're <laughs> we're golden. But unfortunately, <laughs> Juventus, as proven with Maurizio Sarri and Andrea Pirlo, sometimes that doesn't really work. So, um yeah, I think it, it's really just kind of it. It's kind of the same thing as in Yelly in general. It just kind of depends on who you ask. Yeah, I mean, as you said, I guess that's why there was such a backlash because they were kind of like the underdogs, aren't they? You know, so it's like not only in Italy, but I know here in England, you know, they're kind of like loved by everyone. Everyone wants them to go far in the Champions League, and when they get out the group, it's you know everyone loves it. And so for the you know the boss of the the big bad Juve to be saying that's yeah. like such a bad look, but. uh but anyway, um, you mentioned before about the the league, though, as well that the the problem that um that you're having in Italy and I think in Spain and other leagues too is that Premier League TV rights deals are just getting so out of control that the money's going up and up and the schism's getting greater. But I guess I, I don't know for sure the reason, but it, it strikes me that maybe because it's like so competitive. But then as the money gets bigger, the more competitive it gets. Almost I know Man City are kind of like. You know they won three out of the last four, but but really still it's you know we're not seeing those kind of things like Juve winning nine in a row and PSG and and how it and um, Bayern I think nine in a row I think in Germany we don't really have that. It's always you know it could be Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United, Man City, even some other teams on the periphery. Especially when it comes to European qualification, there's you know any number of like ten teams could be getting into the Europa League almost. So I mean. What's the solution to that, do you think? Because it's going to be, I guess, to, you need to make the league more exciting and more thrilling and anyone can win. And when it's Empoli versus Juve, you really do believe Empoli probably, you know, there's a real chance they could, you know, could could win on the day. And then there'll be more money and then the league will grow. I mean, how, how, how do you solve that problem, I guess? Because at the moment, I know Inter broke the dominance last year, 
But um, as far now we see that Inter are in a kind of a, a meltdown. I I imagine Juve are going straight back to the top this year. I don't know about you, but are we just going to see a continuation, another nine titles? It's hard to sell, isn't it? Right, a product that is already over before it begins. Yeah, and I mean that's that's kind of the ironic thing about all this is that you know you say you want exciting and 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 everything and. You know, Serie A is about as, as exciting as it's been in years just because... On the pitch, it's fantastic. Yeah, and, you know, you know, they're setting all kinds of goal records. And, you know, I think it was, what, there was over 40 goals the first weekend of, of games, which, you know, that's not exactly what you associate with Italy now, is it? No, not the <laughs> typical 1-0. It's not, it's not boring and defensive and counter counterattacking football anymore. So I think from strictly an on field product Serie A is definitely delivering it's just I agree. it's not you know it's not as marketable as the Premier League or even you know La Liga I mean you look at I mean unfortunately unfortunately for them you know ESPN spends you know hundreds of millions of dollars to get the broadcast rights to La Liga and then all of a sudden Messi goes to PSG so yeah, <laughs> whoops but uh, yeah. I, I think that was also the same same thing with when ESPN bought the rights over here for Serie A was the same year that Ronaldo joined Juventus. It's like you're thinking that kind of the the cult of Ronaldo would follow him to the the streaming platform because a lot of it was on on their their online um, streaming service. So, um, but yeah, it's 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 tough to it's tough to really break it down into a short answer because um, so much of Serie A is, and to be frank here, it's, it's run by old white men who don't really, and old white Italian men, which are about as stubborn as stubborn gets. So, uh, you know, that that's part of the reason why I think Agnelli is applauded by many for wanting to bring a different vision, just because it's something different and it's something a lot more modern than what so much of the league is essentially used to because i mean you know i i have an old italian man for a father and i can tell him he's pretty set in his ways so um it's tough to really say that you know if you just change one thing or change two things then you know everything in italy is fixed because it's almost it's just decades upon decades of doing it as you know like I said before, because it's Italy, that's why it, it, it is the way it is these days. <laughs> uh, before we get into a little bit of modern day stuff now, including Cristiano Ronaldo and the return of Allegri, we're going to take one more really quick break. And we're back. So, Danny, we mentioned earlier the cult of Ronaldo. As a Juve fan, how do you feel about seeing him go? And in hindsight, how would you describe his overall impact? Uh, it was definitely a interesting three years. Uh, you mentioned the cult of Ronaldo. I think dealing with them might have been the most eventful part <laughs> part of it, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Um, be, Some fun times on Twitter. Fun. You call them fun. I call them something else. But uh, <laughs> I think you know it. You look at kind of the the way he left, and I think that's left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth because. You know, we heard pretty much from essentially the springtime on that, you know, he was going to decide his fate after the Euros, whether he was going to stay or go. Portugal was dumped out, what, round of 16, if I remember correctly. So it's pretty early-ish in the tournament. So it's not like, it's not like kind of the, the Italy portion of the squad where, you know, it felt like they had one week of training and then the, the season started. So... In that sense, it was, you know, to see Ronaldo and to an extension, uh, George Mendez, his agent, you know, essentially wait f- until about a week's left in the, the transfer window to be like, all right, well, we want out. Um, you know, Juventus was really kind of put in a situation where uh, the number of clubs that could afford Ronaldo was, you know, essentially what you could count on one hand. And then, you know, one of those clubs that he could potentially go to just signed Messi. So that limited the options even more. Um, And just the whirlwind kind of 24 hours that, you know, okay, he's 
going to Man City. And then I wake up in the morning and, oh, wait, he's going to Manchester United. Well, that was fun. So <laughs> in terms of how the three years went, you look at the overall squad and, you know, so much of um, so much of Ronaldo's success as a team with Real Madrid was kind of, you know, a squad that really worked well with his characteristics. This squad did not work well with his characteristics. Uh, you know, we've been asked, we've been wondering for years as a fan base. And, you know, this is at our blog and basically all of Juventus fandom, I would assume was when are you going to fix the midfield? Cause you know, you see the likes of Pirlo and Vidal and Marquisio and, and Pogba, move on and those guys have never truly been replaced outside of you know a couple of good years of Sammy Kadira before his body fell apart a couple of good years of Miralem Pjanic before his form went downhill and then obviously he was off to Barcelona um and outside of that it was you know kind of like we were mentioning a few minutes ago you know bringing guys in on free transfers you know the Ramseys of the world the Rabios of the world, you know, try, hoping that a, a youngster like Rodrigo Bentancourt would develop, and he has basically been stuck in reverse for the last 18 months. Uh, you know, other, you know, low-cost solutions or ideas or whatever, and, you know, nothing really, nothing has worked. And so much of, you know, you look at the midfield that Ronaldo had at Real Madrid, and then you compare it to Juventus now, and it's it's night and day. So, is it fair to say that those low cost options were being brought in because of the huge wage bill for Ronaldo? Is was that the issue that they couldn't afford to bring in other players? Yes and no. I think. I mean, obviously, you know, you're paying somebody what was it, thirty one million euros net, and you know, in Italy we do things net, so gross salary. That's probably. You know, six around sixty million euros, which obviously is a lot even for a club like Juventus. So I would assume that you know some of some of his salary probably put a limitation on what he did or what they were able to do on the transfer market. But um, obviously, they were hit just as hard as anybody in Europe by the pandemic. I mean, you know, they're posting three hundred something million euro losses. Um, they're needing, you know, a 400 million influx of capital from their parent company to cover all those losses. And, you know, people see that and it's like, all right, transfer funds. No, no, that's not how it works. But <laughs> yeah, I think individually Ronaldo was, I mean, he, he delivered, you know, he's, he scored a ton of goals. I mean, he scored, what was it? 100, 101 goals in three years. So that's obviously fantastic, but you also look at, the trajectory of the club as a whole. And it went from obviously winning the league in Allegri's last year of his first in as manager. And then Sari was Sari, which again comes back to a manager trying to implement something with a roster that doesn't fit it. And then, you know, Pirlo, you know, barely sneaking in the a fourth place finish. So as great as Ronaldo was individually as a team, it, it just didn't, it just didn't work. And I think, you know, you look at the way the squad is going and how it ne just so desperately needs to be refreshed. Well, you can't really refresh it when you've got such a dominant figure or a expensive <laughs> figure like Ronaldo. And, um, you know, say what you want about how he's been, but he's, he's also, I mean, he's dude's going to be 40 in a couple of years. And, you know, he's obviously you know, we talked about Andrea Agnelli's ambition. He, you know, Ronaldo is probably about 10 levels above that. So, um, you know, he wanted to win, I'm sure. You know, he has visions of winning another Champions League or two at United. And this Juventus team is not built to win a Champions League this year. So, um, you know, I, I said on the our podcast a few weeks ago uh, when we were talking about the Ronaldo move, you know, Ronaldo wanted to leave. Juventus said the door's open. There you go. And I think now that he's gone, there needs to be somewhat of a rebuild, as you touched on, and maybe it's going to be a bit of an issue with the finances for a little while. So at the moment, the window's closed, and you know, you're know you stuck with what you have. How optimistic are you about the season under Agnelli? I mean, Inter 
came in last season and um, and took the title back. But as we said, they're having some issues of their own right now. Um, among the fan base, and more importantly, yourself personally, is there a level of optimism that, that we could see another Scudetto on the horizon come May? If you were to say that, ask me that two weeks ago, <laughs> at, at least in terms of the fan base in general, it would have been a, probably a, a much different <laughs> kind of answer than after the first couple of games uh, Juventus had of this season. I am still holding out. I tend to give uh, I tend to give Max Allegri uh, time to work. Um, some people and um, you know we got into a rather spirited debate on our last podcast episode about it, just kind of how much he tinkers with his lineups and all that. Um, you know, in previous years, some that has to do with injuries and Max Allegri and muscle injuries kind of go, go, uh, go together like peanut butter and jelly. So, uh, that's always interesting, but I think for me, it's a lot of, you know, he needs time to work. You know, he, he, Juventus finally got a midfielder in Manuel Locatelli who looks, looks the part of a player who will make the midfield better rather than keep it just stagnant. And, you know, they've got some interesting pieces to where you could say, okay, we can, we can build around them. I mean, Federico Chiesa is on the brink of just becoming absolute star. Moise Keane is, you know, a very, still very young player. And obviously his time in England was not very good. But he's still, what, 21 years old. So he's still very much a young player. Um, <clears throat> Paulo Dybala, as long as he stays healthy, can be is basically being viewed as now the centerpiece of Allegri 2.0. So, you know, you factor in Chiesa's development, Locatelli's addition, you know, development of other players like, say, Matthias Licht in the back at uh, you know, leading the defense. You know, there are pieces there. It's just a matter of kind of everybody else being like, all right, we can make the squad, <coughs> excuse me, we can make the squad competitive. And yeah, I, I mean, my optimism is still there, but I don't know. It, it, it'll be interesting these next, you know, with the Champions League group stage coming around, just how long that optimism actually sticks around. Well, we have a couple of questions from Twitter here that I want to get to. You've got mail. Before we move on to our little quiz at the end here. In fact, we have three. They're all from um, Vincent Ferrara, who I'm guessing is a is a either a keen listener or contributor to your own podcast, I'm thinking, Dan. He is he is a loyal podcast and Twitter question asker of ours. So we appreciate him, definitely. We appreciate you, Vincent. Thank you so much. Okay, so the first one is McKenney has effed up <laughs> twice now by breaking COVID protocols. Is his potential worth keeping him, or is Juve going to break my heart and sell its first American? So, yeah, what do you think about that? I mean, he's he's breaking COVID protocols, obviously has a lot of potential, but are they going to stick with him, or are they going to sell him? What do you think? What do you see happening? Oof, that's, that's a tough one, because, you know, the most recent one just happened a few days ago when he was on international duty with the, the U.S. men, and... Uh, yeah, that was that was disappointing because you know he had an episode in the spring where you know it was him, it was DiBala, and it was uh, Artur who had a who broke protocol <clears throat> in Italy because of you know they had a large gathering which have kind of been labeled Weston as one of the the Juve party boys, but um, yeah, I don't. I mean, obviously there's talent there. You know, he can be a very useful player within the squad and and I think Allegri is a fan of McKinney but yeah I don't know it's uh it it's tough to it's tough to be a, a McKinney supporter right now when he kind of keeps shooting himself in the foot with with these you know off the field issues because um yeah you you just you you know, after the first one, you don't want there to be a second one. And now there's a second one. You don't want there to be anything more. But, you know, as we say in in my line of work, you know, three's a trend and we're almost to the third one. So I don't know. <laughs> 
Okay, we'll have to wait and see on that. The second question from Vincent is, does Allegri actually believe in Woj? Which is that, I'm guessing, is that Wojciech Chesney? Yeah, there's Wojciech Chesney, yes. I think we're getting into the reads with the uh, with the Juve uh, kind of fan jargon. Um, or will it become the Perrin show with another poor showing? I think that uh, Chesney's leash is still rather long, but I don't know if you saw the, the highlights of the mistakes he made against Udinese in the season opener, but those were two just awful, <laughs> awful mistakes that directly led to goals. And, yeah, I did not yeah, see those. It, actually, it's, it's just tough because you know he's he's the guy who immediately replaced Buffon, and so he's always going to be held to that kind of bar. And I mean, it's nothing against Mattia Parin, but neither of them are going to be at a world class level at this point. So, I think as much as Chesney may have or has been. I should say, inconsistent for pretty much the entire calendar year. I don't think at this point that Allegri is going to suddenly make it a, a goalkeeper controversy. And final question from Vincent, which I think might be more aimed at me, but we're going to get your take on it as well. <laughs> Do Europeans really like the third kit? It looks like a faded beach towel from the 70s. Let's have a look at this thing. Uh, yeah, so to give my take, I am not impressed with it, to be honest yet. Yeah, it looks pretty bad but given that we're in the season of the worst third kits in history i don't know if you saw those uh i think it was fenerbahce man city like six teams or eight teams that have that oh my god then yeah, the, 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 puma, the puma kits without without a uh without a club crest or logo on it where you, yeah. you can't kiss anything i that saw was... a video of a player i think it was fenerbahce yeah. right it's like a medium and he scores a goal goes to try and kiss the badge and it's not there it's just, yeah. Uh, yeah, that I guess in a world where that exists, this thing is uh, a thing of beauty. But in general, it's not for me. What do you think about it? What do you make of this third kit? Uh, a lot like Juventus' third kit from last season, the uh, Halloween kit, as we dubbed it on the blog. Um, I will not be. I will not be <laughs> buying it. Um, but the good thing is that the uh, home and away kits this year are very nice. So I guess uh, one of our other writers, I don't know, I'll. I'll give credit to to Sergio here he he is very much along the lines of thinking that if you're if your home kit and away kit are pretty good which for this season Juventus's are you're you're given a little more freedom when it comes to your third kit and uh it's safe to say that Juventus took advantage obviously they're not catering just to Sergio but uh they definitely got a little creative when it comes to their third kit this year yeah they earned it earned it with the two good ones um okay so before we um before we get out of here we're going to finish off with the little quiz that we like to do at the end with each of our guests called do you know your heroes so these are sort of um to do with records it's a lot of numbers and dates but we'll we'll see how we get on uh, but just so you know i get these from wikipedia so if there's any contentions in the audience please take those to the uh Reliable community over there. Okay, so first one up is, as we mentioned earlier on the podcast, Juve have had a lot of painful European Cup or Champions League final losses, but how many times in total have they finished runners-up? Uh, I want to say, is it five? Close. A little bit more. Seven. Seven, okay. Seven European Cup or Champions League final defeats. Who holds the record for the most Juventus appearances in competitive matches? Uh, that would be Alessandro Del Piero. Correct, of course. One of your early heroes. Yes. I don't suppose you know the number. Asking Oof. a lot, to be honest. I know they've got this displayed at the Juventus Museum, and it's, I know it's a very big number. I just can't think of it. You'd have to be a super, super, <laughs> super nerd to know all these numbers, but that's the fun of it. Nobody ever does. But the number is 705, and okay. he earned those between 1993 and 2012. I know a lot of people in hindsight were going to say, oh, I was going to say that, but I was thinking it was some some 700-something. Yep, well, as I said, people rarely get those numbers. That's that's uh, It's pretty difficult. <laughs> um, which manager has taken charge of the most competitive matches? I have a feeling it's somebody before my time. It is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm blanking out. Don't worry. This is also a time for learning. So this is before, 
both of our times, I guess, in terms of okay. real, you know, you, we were both alive, I'm sure, but we weren't really knowing much about what's going on. So Giovanni Trapattoni okay, yeah. took charge of a combined 596 games in his first spell between 1976 and 86, which definitely were before our time, and also between 1991 and 94. Yeah. 1994 was sort of when I first realized that football existed, but <laughs> Trapattoni was not on my radar then. Yeah. Although a few years later, I did start watching Gazetta Football Italia, this great Ooh. show we used to have here on Channel 4, which was really cool when I was about seven or eight, but Trapattoni would have been gone by then. I've anyway. heard about I've heard about the Channel 4 days, so yeah. Oh yeah, it was really, really, it used to be on a Sunday morning before Formula One, which I also used to watch when I was a kid. Um, I think I knew more about Serie A when I was a kid than I do now, genuinely. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question. Who was the oldest player to play a competitive match for Juventus? Is it my good friend Gigi Buffon? It is for sure. Of course it is. Um, I don't suppose you know the exact year and number of days. 43. Very good. Yeah, he was 43 and 104 days old. Okay. Uh, which player has scored the most goals in a single season for Juve? Uh, that would be Cristiano Ronaldo. And yes, it would. This is the most the, the most uh, recent one. Do you know the number? Uh, 31? 37, apparently. Maybe you're thinking 31 in the yeah. league, maybe, and then there was more in yeah. the, yeah, in all comps, maybe. Um, another name that at some point during the podcast has been mentioned, a little clue there. Who was the last player to win the Ballon d'Or while playing for Juve? That would be Pavel Nevit. Very good. Do you remember the year? That was, two th- I want to say, 2003? Yeah, correct. Nearly nearly two decades ago. Fantastic player. Um, this one was... I always find this one interesting. We try and do this one with every club. Who was the last player to win a World Cup while playing for Juventus? Now, I, now, now, now I'm trying to remember who, who's won the last few World Cups. <laughs> it was a lot easier when half of Italy's roster was Juventus players. Uh, <laughs> let's see. So, was it Sammy Kadira? Was it... I, I I assumed that he did get one, but actually, more recent than that, France won the World Cup in 2018, and Blaise Matuidi right, yeah. was currently playing for Juventus at that time. I love doing that one because it's uh, yeah, but like you said, there was one the I can't remember we did a few weeks ago, and it was and the guy was from something like the the 2012 World Cup or something, so they had to go back all the all the way and then think about every. It's it's a tough one. Yeah, and to finish off here, apart from. Of course, Italian. Which nationality is most represented in the current first team squad? Man, you're you're asking some good ones here. Uh, you got a bunch of Italians, then you've got a bunch of kind of sort of only one person from one country. A lot of them. Yeah, I know, I know. That, that's what's making it difficult. That's the problem. But then you've got one where there are four people from this country, technically. Technically, because <laughs> uh, one of Brazil. them, I'm not. One of them could be a very. It's Brazil. Yeah. Arthur, Danilo, Alexandro, and this guy. Maybe I just don't have a lot of knowledge, but it's it could be maybe more of a more of a youth prospect. Um, Cal George, Cal George. Yeah, they just they just signed him this summer. Yeah, so, so that's why I said technically I think it, he could be sixteen or something. So I don't want to catch you out there, but but <laughs> because he's not he's not he's nineteen. So. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but yes, it is indeed Brazil. Danny, thanks so much for joining us today. Really, really, really enjoyed speaking to you. Before we get out of here, um, do you want to just plug? the blog and the podcast and tell all the listeners where they need to go to check out all the great stuff that you do. First off, if you want to visit the blog, it's black and white and red all over. We're part of the SB nation family of blogs. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Juventus nation. Um, we are, as I said, we do have a podcast. Uh, it's called the old lady speaks, which obviously is a play off of Juventus. One of Juventus's many nicknames. Uh, you can find it on all of your podcasting platforms, whether it's iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, or Google Podcasts, just search uh, black ampersand white ampersand red all over, and we will be there. Uh, yeah, that's about it. And Danny, before we go, which position in the league table will Juventus finish this season? You asked me the hardest questions at the very end. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will say they will finish third. Oh, I'm not so optimistic. I'm going to go first. Uh, <laughs> not overly optimistic. <laughs> okay, Danny, thank you so much, buddy. It's been so good, so great. Good luck with everything. Good luck with the season. And, uh, and have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me.
Thanks so much for listening to the Sportacost Football Stories podcast. Please like, share and leave positive reviews wherever you listen. We really, really appreciate it. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend online or offline. That really helps a small podcast like ours to organically grow. Head to sportacost.com for live streams, data, statistics and much more from the world of football. You can also follow us on Twitter at sportacost.com. You can follow me at Craig Sportacost. And we'd also love to read out the thoughts and questions of our listeners. So please feel free to tweet those to me anytime or send us an email to show at sportacost.com with your opinions or your questions and we will get to them on the next episode. Thanks again to Danny for coming on to speak to us today. Thanks so much to you for listening and see you on the next episode of the Sportacost Football Stories podcast. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.